Good morning, church. I'm sure a lot of y'all who worked VBS this past week have VBS brain. And so, you know, we're all running slim right now. But hey, it's so good to see y'all this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we could be together to worship you. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And Father, it's because of your love for us that, Lord, we are able to worship here together. 
God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and that he rose again three days later. Father, we just pray your blessings upon this service, God, that your word uh, would speak to the hearts of those who are listening. Father, Lord, cause those to repent. Lord, also help us to draw closer to you. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thankful for those that can gather electrons and make them all do what we want them to do. Thank you, Ben. Join the choir now as we sing Footsteps of Jesus. 483 in your hymnals, or the words are on the screens. Footsteps of Jesus. And you can sit for this one. have your bulletins open with me for the missionary moment as we look at Kevin Gibbs and his wife as they are missionaries since uh, serving on the mission on a mission trip in 2014 to Seattle Washington says that Gibbs was asked the question where would you be if money and resources were not a factor Kevin instantly knew the answer and he'd be right here in Seattle so in 2019 he and his wife Rebecca moved to the city to plant Discovery Church Although the pandemic has brought challenges to Discovery Church, its members have been able to focus on international evangelism and discipleship, and seeing that people in the community are able and are searching for hope and meaning. Kevin has been able to train church members to view evangelism as part of their identity, thereby empowering church members to share their faith with friends and neighbors. And what an awesome testimony that is of, of how the Lord has used the Gibbs family there in Seattle uh, to through discipleship and evangelism, which are very key for a church. 
Also, don't forget uh, your offering. Uh, when it comes to, you can give online or you can always drop your offering here on the stage after the service or uh, there's also one out in front of pastor's office, a offering tray. So with that, let's go ahead and pray for our, our missionaries. Lord, we thank you for the Gibbs family and the sacrifice that they were willing to give, Lord, to serve you. God, we just continue to pray for the plant, Discovery Church, as they seek to uh, share the gospel and disciple those around them. God, thank you for their faithfulness, and God, help us to also answer the question, Lord, if resources and, and money were not a factor, God, where would we want to go? Where would we want to serve? God, may our answer be in tune with your will. Father, help us to follow you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I thank Ben before with the first song. Now we need to thank Tommy because he's the one that's controlling the slides. <laughs> so there's a lot going on maybe you don't realize. These ladies here are precious in the way they play, and these guys back here are singing. So join us as we sing 330, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. What would we do without the riches of God's grace?
And now I want a reminder before we sing the next song of the children's church and the children can gather on the piano side. I'm going to ask you to stand for this one. And I'm going to also ask you to stand when we're finished. Remain, remain standing. And I'll remind you that. But stand and join the choir as we sing, Take My Life, Lead Me, Lord, 287. <clears throat> Ladies.
beautiful song that just in my opinion just preaches the gospel and reminds us of who we are and who God is all right uh, if you would let's uh let's pray and then father we just give you another we just glorify you father we thank you for this time together God we are reminded that you are king of kings and lord of lords and you have redeemed us and saved us, and you call us your own. God, we thank you for these, this body of believers here, this church. God, we thank you that you love us so much, that you are willing to come to us and save us from our sins. God, I pray for those who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that, God, you would speak to their hearts. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that, Lord, you would, you would help us to grow closer, and that, Lord, we would take the things that we learn about today, and we would live them out. God, thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me as we read the uh, word of God. We are in Titus chapter 2 as we look at verses 1 through 15. And we talk about a community of discipleship. And so when you think of discipleship, what comes to mind? 
When you think of community, what is it that comes to mind? You know, what is it that a community of discipleship, why is that important? It says in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. Thank you. You may be seated. And so let's look back at verse 1. And so we see in verse in, in this passage, a community of discipleship. There are two institutions that God created that he uses for discipleship. All right? The first is the one that the world today is at war with and is out to destroy since it started in Acts. And that's the church. The church is here to carry out the message of the gospel, to train and equip believers to speak the truth of God's word, to not compromise what God's word calls sin and how to show the world God's love through the love of our neighbor, by loving our neighbor, to be faithful in preaching the gospel of Jesus, the entire inerrant and infallible word of God. The second is one that the world has been slowly for years trying to take over and redefine and sad to say they've been effective. The family. God created the family. Its functions and responsibilities are determined by its creator, God. Since God is the inventor, he's the only one who has the authority to change what the family is, the role and purpose. However, since God doesn't change, based off Malachi 3, 6, Numbers 23, 19, Psalm 102, 25 through 27, Hebrews 13, 18, therefore his word does not change. Isaiah 48, Matthew 24, 35. The family is designed to be an example of the gospel. The family is to operate in unity as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit do. The family is to train a child up in the way he should go. Now culture has decided to redefine what the family is, the role, and the purpose. And in doing so, it neglects the spiritual needs that the family is supposed to establish. Therefore, church and family discipleship are extremely important. They are urgent and necessary since they were first established by God. Now, here Paul is speaking to Titus. And Titus 1 through 15 shows us how discipleship is done and how we are to live as Christians. Titus is a man that Paul trusted and discipled him in the faith. Like Timothy, Titus is Paul's son in the ministry. Now Paul gives Titus the reins to lead the church in Crete. And the church in Crete was no easy church to lead. The church in Crete had its issues, as do most churches, or all churches. Titus was to guide them in how to serve one another and disciple each other. We see in verse 1 how Paul instructs Titus with proclaiming things consistent with sound teaching. Maybe your verse says, or your, your translation may say doctrine. We know sound teaching refers to the teachings that were passed on by Christ and the apostles to guard and guide the church from false teachers. Based off what we see in the text, in verses 2 through 10, we see issues of anger, issues of immorality. 
self-control, slander, substance abuse, family breakdown, dishonesty, theft, were mere, not just, were problematic for the church in Crete as they are for the church today. Titus, no doubt, has his work cut out for him. But he sees and he knows the importance of carrying out what Paul has instructed him to do. Paul has has discipled Titus for some time now, and now it's time for Titus to go and disciple, lead, and minister to the church in Crete. And that brings us to our first point, is that discipleship produces godliness. Dr. Danny Aiken says, undoubtedly a large percentage of people in the modern church are driven by consumer mentality. The value only what is beneficial to them and partake only what pleases them at the times that are disruptive to their schedules at costs not significant enough to burden their lifestyles. Such persons will pick up the church activities that are, they are attractive to, but never take, think of the impact their actions of others. Only the most mature have a sense of personal investment in regular fellowship, disciplined worship, and church community life. Paul is determined to make sure that we know what characterizes the mature perspective and participation. Discipleship in a community of believers will always require sacrifice of time and energy as you pour yourself into another person's life. It's an investment that may not necessarily hold a guarantee. So we see Paul instruct Tim Titus to let him know how certain groups of people within the community are to behave. We look at the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, and then he refers to the slaves. But let's look at the older men first. He says in verse 2 again, I read, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, and love and endurance. So let's break this down. Self-control. You have an opportunity and an obligation, older men, to boys and young men, to show them what it means to live and be a man of God by being and practicing self-control. Showing and teaching younger generations what it looks like to practice self-control is vital. Because self-control even today is a concept that is radical to our culture. When it says, have what you want and have it now. Older men, worthy of respect, not simply because of your age. We're taught at a young age to respect someone because of how old they are. And yes, we should. But worthy of respect because of your character and your relationship with God is on par. You are worthy because you understand and lived out what it means to be pure, to have integrity, to live, to please God in all that you do. You desire to see young boys and men become godly men who God intends to use for kingdom purposes. And you are to be sensible, level-headed. And so, you are to be sound in faith. One commentator says that, he mentioned John McDuff from his sermon in the promised land. He said, even when I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. Think about that. God's hand is too big for us to trace. But you can trust his heart because we know what his heart is all about. When we spend time with him, when we hear from him, when we learn, when we're in community together. He then says that you are to be sound in love. Your love for God should go unquestioned. Your love for believers is evident in that your service to him. Your love for the lost is obvious because you live out the gospel every day, trying and sharing the gospel with those around you. 
And older men, you are to be sound in endurance because of the hope that is within you. That is Jesus, that you should be patient and steadfast. Yes, I know us younger generations can make you upset. We can cause you to get a little hot-headed at times, but be patient. Be patient with the youth. Be patient with the kids. James 1.19 tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We need examples of this. We need, our children need examples of this. And so, older men, you have laid out before you how we are to live as believers. And so as Paul is talking to Titus here, we know about the church in Crete. We know about the people in Crete because Paul tells us in chapter 1 that, look at, if, you look at, if you have your Bibles open to Titus chapter 1, verse 11 says, It is necessary to silence them. He's talking about false teachers. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. And it says that one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. There are men out there who are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And they need men of God to show them how to be men of God. By making the things of God a priority in their life, not something secondary. And so... Paul then moves on to the older women. He says, look at, look at verses 3 through 4 with me. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and their children. Verse 3, we see be reverent in behavior, a word that literally means temple fitting or appropriate behavior in a temple. This woman should live in such a way as it is benefiting, benefiting a godly person. Her life and behavior is marked by holiness and reflecting the character of the Lord she loves and lives for. Be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Be truthful, not making false accusations. Staying away from gossip. When she speaks the truth, it is done in love. We see Paul talk about this again in Ephesians 4.15. Don't be a part of the gossip conversation. When you're in Bible study, spend time talking about the lesson, the word, not about the latest gossip of Tullahoma. You know, be active in pursuing the work of the Lord. He tells us, it tells us also not to be slaves to excessive drinking. Some translation says, says, you know, or having control of one's appetite. You know, the Greek scholar Dr. Mounts writes, no doubt that alcoholism must have been a severe problem since it is an issue in the appointment of church leaders in every list. We see this in 1 Timothy 3. We see this in Titus. We see this again uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Alcohol was a problem in the first century, and it's still a problem today. While this is true that almost every culture, it was especially true in the Cretes. They were known for their heavy drinking. It was even considered to be a virtue, depending how how much you could have before you got drunk. And even today, we, there are these drinking games that are out there that, you know, depending on how much you can take in, depends how better you are. Paul doesn't want older women to be focused on excessive drinking. He wants them to teach what is good, to encourage the young women, mentoring the young women to teach them what is good. So we see Paul has established that within the community, in the church of Crete, that he wants the older men and older women to be examples. 
for those who are younger. And we see that discipleship is going to take place, and it needs to take place. Because if the older women are to teach what is good, they are then to encourage the younger women. As we read before in verse 4, look again at verse 4 and 5, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. We see the command for wives to love your husbands. What's interesting is this is the only time in the Bible where or where Paul commands wives to love your husbands. Elsewhere, he's commanding husbands to love their wives. This command has been given multiple times to the husbands. However, this is unique in that this is the first time Paul does it here. We also see that this is a need. Paul would not establish that need because in this, in this culture, again, marriages were arranged. So it may have been a little bit more difficult to love your husband because you didn't get to pick who that was. So we see also that the younger women are to love your children. So many children today are without mothers or their mothers care nothing for their child. It's heartbreaking. In those times, if a child was born with a disability, they were quickly given away or left, abandoned. Paul is saying that children are precious. They are to be loved and cared for. We see he also commands to be self-controlled. Practice self-control. You know, your desires, your words, your actions. Don't allow social media to have control over you and how you should live and be as a person. Be pure, he says. You have been made pure through Christ. This purity is not that which appears to be pure on the outside, but that which is truly pure from the inside out. To live pure is to be devoted to holiness, striving to be like Christ. Purity does not come from the or beauty does purity and beauty does not come from the different filters we may see on social media that people take of themselves. Right? Don't compare yourself to a filter. Compare yourself to who Jesus is and be like Him. Remember the 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 psalmist Psalm fifty one verse ten says, "Remember the words." Of the psalmist, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in, within me. Motherhood is difficult. There is so much that goes unseen, and we know that you strive hard to take care of your children, and even more so for single moms. There are days where you may want to give up, but you can't because you know you've been given this commission by the Lord to raise your child. Stand fast, stand strong, as the psalmist we see in Psalms. We then see in verse 4, be a homemaker. Your greatest joy in life will never come from a job or a career, but the kids you get to raise. To love and care and nurture them, putting kids before yourself and realizing you may have to make sacrifices that you weren't willing to do before. Motherhood requires humility and trusting God. It's no doubt that mothers have played a key part, and they are a key part in a child's spiritual walk and growth. We see in Proverbs 51, the, the woman who rises early to go, and she provides and she creates things to bring an income into the house. This doesn't mean to you know, give up your job, but don't put career before the kids, the family. And then we see that she, we are, she is to be kind. 
She's to be like Jesus. Jesus was gentle, considerate, gracious, merciful, even to those who may not treat her the same way. We see how Jesus treated those that ridiculed him, persecuted him, but yet he was still kind and he still loved them. Don't make it your mission to get back at someone. Make it your mission to love that person, to show grace where you've been showing grace, to show forgiveness where you've been forgiven. Don't hold grudges. Then lastly, I know this one can be a little hard at times for us, but it says, Paul says to be submissive to their husbands. What does that mean? Submission isn't, doesn't mean that us husbands, we have, you know, the, the, the right to say, you know, get me my food and get it now. No, that is not what this is saying. It says that we, submission means to yield to one's will to the leadership and direction of another. This does not mean that the wife is to suppress her intelligence, talents, and gifts in the home. Rather, she should fully express these gifts in the purpose of supporting her husband and the spiritual leadership of the home. Paul shows us in Ephesians 5 that the husband loves a wife as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. No one in the marriage relationship has a right to be selfish, abusive, or demanding. Husbands, how are you leading your family? Are you leading your family, should I ask? When's the last time you spent in prayer over your wife, for your wife, asking your wife, how are you doing spiritually? That's a question that should be regular in our conversation with our wives. I'm guilty of it as well. I need to be more regular in those conversations. Paul calls us to be leaders of our homes. And in doing so, if we will lead our families well, it makes it easier for a person, for our wives, to submit and yield to our leadership. Paul then addresses a younger man. In the same way, encourage the young man to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. He goes on to tell Titus, your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be, put, will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. So self-control. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the quote came from Tony Evans where he said, in culture that encourages men to indulge in every desire, self-control is a radical message that we, tell our, we should be telling our young people today. Encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. Encourage, as Paul says, it is a present, it's in the, a present imperative in the Greek, which means, it means to giving it the force of a command that is continually set before the younger men. Paul is telling Titus to continue, continue to encourage, daily encourage, daily encourage them to be practicing self-control. If one does not have control of their lives, thoughts, and passions as a young man, he can easily be swept away, swept away by the desires of the flesh. Paul tells Titus to be a good example. Titus was to be a man that others could look up to and hope to be like. Paul said this of himself, even to the Corinthian church. If you remember, twice he told them to imitate him as he sought to imitate Christ. The ultimate goal isn't to be like Paul, Timothy, or Titus, but it's to be like Jesus. Men, find someone who you can look up to, who is committed to Christ. Perhaps it is someone in this church. Perhaps it's someone elsewhere. 
but make sure that they have a relationship with Jesus and make sure that they meet the qualifications of someone who is worth imitating. Do they meet the standard of what Paul talks about in chapter 2? Sorry, in chapter 2, verse 2. Are they self-controlled? Are they worthy of the respect? Are they sensible? Are they sound in faith, love, and endurance? Paul also tells Timothy for younger men that they need to be sound in doctrine. The Cretan church had its false teachers. Paul says, and as we read earlier in chapter 1, verse 11, that they were ruining entire households. You can ruin an entire household with false teaching. You can ruin an entire household when you don't preach and teach the truth of God in the household. Paul's advice to Titus is to teach with integrity and dignity, and in doing so, those who are out to get you, they will have no ground to stand on because your household is standing on the Word of God, a firm foundation. He tells a young man to be sound in speech. Be careful what you say and how you say it. You are responsible for the words you say. How you respond to your children is vital. How you respond to your wife when she's angry is vital. It's easy to want to respond in anger or with yelling, but it takes self-control to respond with grace and patience and mercy and love. So we see Paul shows us that discipleship is key in the church and that older men need to be discipling younger men. Older women need to be discipling younger women. Gender-based discipleship is created by God. And so when we see that this is what is the church of Crete is to be doing, we have to ask ourselves at Highland, are we doing this? As an older men, are we discipling younger men? Younger or older women, are we discipling younger women? There's a group of teenagers that can be discipled. There's a group of kids that need to be discipled. The church is a part of that, but also it takes part in the family at home. So we get to verses 9 and 10, and Paul speaks to slaves and, his, and their relationship with their master. Now, I believe all of us here would agree that treating a person who is made in the image of God as something you own and to be used and to be bought is, is absolutely sickening. Seeing a person as an object to use whatever purpose seems necessary is nothing but disgusting and barbaric. Unlike slavery that came about in the Americas in the 1600s, slavery in the, in the first century was racially indiscriminate, cutting across racial, social, and national lines. In the first century, one of every three persons in Rome and one in five elsewhere was a slave. Now, it wasn't because of a person's skin color. A person could become a slave because they were a result as a capture in war, maybe to pay off a debt, inability to support, and they would voluntarily sell themselves to have someone else take care of them, and they would serve that person for the rest of their life. Perhaps they were even sold as a child. Maybe they were birthed to slave parents. They were maybe convicted of a crime or kidnapped or even piracy. See, when reading verses 9 and 10, we can easily think, well, and skip over them, that these have nothing to say to me because I'm not a slave and I don't own slaves. But I want to encourage you to rethink that. You may not be a slave, but you are employed by, with a company, in an, or you may be an owner of a company with employees. Obviously, in Paul's day, slaves were part of the church, so those slaves he was writing to were believers. Now, 
he encourages him to serve with the purpose of pointing his co-workers and his boss to Christ. The work you currently do now, is it simply to receive a paycheck every two weeks or once a week or once a month whenever you get paid? Or is it to glorify God, to point people to Jesus, and hoping that they receive the gospel through how you live as and act as their employee? It means your job now has an eternal significance, not just for a paycheck, but to point people to Jesus. Paul's principles for slaves ought to be applied to us as believers in our workplace. When employees think of Christian employees, they should think of the following. And Paul says them in verses 9 through 10. Read them with me. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back. That may be a hard one, right? Or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. We look at the first one, submit to their masters in everything. Do what you're told, simply. Don't question it. You've been asked to clean the bathroom? Go do it. Don't argue who has seniority. Well, I've been here 10 years. That's not my job. Do what you're told. Are there exceptions? Yes. If you're being asked to do something unbiblical, illegal, unethical, or immoral, the goal should always to do what has been asked but because you have an eternal boss, God is your heavenly father. God is your heavenly boss. You never compromise his word. The boss is always standing and watching how you're doing. But the eternal boss is always watching every single thing that you're thinking, you're doing. So be careful in how you respond. Be careful what you respond inwardly. Because the Lord sees it. God addressed the same things uh, to the, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, you don't have to, I'll read it to you. It says, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. That is who you serve in your job place, the Lord Christ. Paul tells us to be well-pleasing. We should not be argumentative. To have a servant-like attitude in both our actions and the things that we do and say. As servants of Christ, we, we are watched even more carefully today. Paul entrusts slaves Think about this. Paul is entrusting, is entrust slaves the ministry of making the gospel appealing to their masters. The slaves become the, sla the Savior's representatives, responsible for conduct that can lead to their master's salvation. Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.20. You have been placed in your workplace for a specific reason and purpose, and I promise you it's not just to receive an income but to be a representative of Jesus Christ. We get into not talking back, Paul says. We should not be one to mouth off, back talk, have a contentious spirit about us. But even when, so have, have you ever met someone though that they would just argue with a brick wall? <laughs> and perhaps you know someone in your workplace. Hopefully you're not that person. But the book of Proverbs has much to say about the words that come out of our mouth and 
and how they can be a poison or how they can bring life. At work, are your words a poison or are they bringing life? Jesus teaches us that in a person's speech reflects what's in a person's heart. In a person's heart, in Mark seven, twenty-one through twenty-two, he tells us also in Titus to not to be stealing. We are called to be honest, dependable people of integrity. We are called to be holy as God is holy. We see in First Peter one sixteen, the bar has been set high. You should be a person that can be trusted when the boss isn't around. You should be a person who, of integrity when no one's looking. The moment we compromise our integrity, we set ourselves up for trouble. And then Paul says, we are to demonstrate faithfulness. Your character as a Christian, as I said, is constantly on display. If we were to go to your workplace and we say, hey, this person is a member of a church, and they say, well, they go to church? Wow. That should not be the reaction. It should be, yes, I know, and they won't hush up about Jesus. That is what we want people to say. Your character as a Christian is constantly on, dis- on display. Your trustworthiness, your reliability, your dependability should be above par in the workplace and home. Work doesn't come before the family. When people see your faithfulness to do your best, it is a picture of your faithfulness to the Lord. There is no doubt that the Lord is faithful to us and he is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is dependable. And that should never be questioned. There is no doubt that the Lord has proven his faithfulness to us time after time. Many times we see in the scriptures and in our lives how God is there in the midst with us in the storms of life. When life seems calm, he is there. When life seems chaotic and we're not sure if he's even there to listen to our prayers, he's there. We see the works of his faithfulness in our lives. In verses 11 through 15, as he has called us to live, not according to the world, but in obedience to him to live godly and point people to Jesus. Now we're only on our second point, and that is that God's grace is a foundation we live by. The good news is there are only two points in this message, so don't worry. There's not more. So God's grace is a foundation we live by. Verses 11 through 15. Why? It says that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to cleanse us for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So why grace? Because we're going to mess up. We're sinners. Sinners sin. It's what we do. No one taught us how. It just, we're born with it. We need grace. You need grace as an older man, as an older woman, younger men, younger women. We need grace. At work, we need grace. In our homes, we need grace. In a community of believers, we need grace. I love this quote. It says, no word is more crucial to the doctrine of salvation than the word grace. 
that is sovereign that is that the sovereign god of creation would reach down from heaven and rescue undeserving sinners from the bondage and slavery of sin from spiritual death to eternal separation from god in a place called hell can only be described in one word grace god's grace is the foundation we live by remember sal remember what he's done Salvation is for all people. Share the gospel. Deny godlessness and worldly lust. Live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. In this time we are in. Cling to the hope that Jesus will be back, who is our great God and Savior. Remember what he's done. He's redeemed you from sin, cleansed you, forgiven you if you are a child of God. And you are a child of God if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This past week at VBS, our, our theme verse was Ephesians 2.10, and it fits exactly right in with this, and that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. When you were saved and when you became a child of God, God had already created good works for you to do for him, for his purpose, to further his kingdom. Proclaim the things God has told you. Encourage. Point people to God. We see in verse 15. And also, rebuke. Call sin, sin, he tells Titus. Don't celebrate it. Even if that includes family. Don't celebrate sin. Don't be proud of... You would never be proud of your child because they stole something. I would hope not. You would never be proud of your child that they lied to you. You would never be proud of your child... If they took advantage of someone, don't celebrate sin. And that goes with what our culture causes, causes to celebrate. Don't be part of the culture. Be separate. Be child of God. Encourage and rebuke with all authority that God has given us. Don't worry about what others think. 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The reality is, men, don't tell me you can't lead your family. Parents, don't tell me you can't disciple your children. Older men and women, don't tell me you can't disciple those younger than you. Don't tell me, young men, Young women, that you can't live with integrity. Don't tell me that you can't do something because God has said that his divine power has given us everything that's required for life and godliness. He's given it to us already. We just got to do it. We got to disciple. We got to be in fellowship with one another. So many times we are quick to cancel church in light of other events. When it's the events that should be canceled, when we should be at church. The goal is to keep working at it, even if it seems like nothing seems to be clicking. Keep discipling. Keep living out the gospel and pursuing others for the gospel. Grace is the foundation we live by. It's because of grace that we have salvation. And so if you're here today and you desire to live in a community of discipleship, then be praying, asking the Lord first for forgiveness, first that First, for forgiveness from him, that he would guide you to, to lead someone and disciple them. Start at home. Men, seek forgiveness from your wives if you haven't been the spiritual leader you need to be for your family. 
Parents, seek forgiveness from your kids if you haven't been discipling them and you know you should have been. If you're not sure how, there are resources. There are ways. Sometimes we can take something simple and make it really complicated. Take time before they go to bed asking them, hey, how can I be praying for you? What is your, what, do you have prayer requests? Hey, do you want to read a Bible verse that we talked about today in, uh, in Sunday school or at church? Or, hey, I just want you to know, I, I read this today, and I want to read it to you. Keep it simple. Discipleship starts small, and it can grow, and it can be something great. Ask God to show you someone who needs to be discipled. If I was to take a show of hands, I'd be interesting to see how many people had someone to disciple them when they were younger. I don't think it was, I would be, probably be safe to say there probably wasn't very many of us who were discipled by someone in our life, but hopefully you had someone. Start with your kids or grandkids. Start with a teenager in this church. I have a picture frame in my office that my wife made for me, and it has a collage of things from the boys and her and I and, and, and different things that we've done. And it says, family is a little word created by love. What is love? It's not some ridiculous phrase our culture uses. If You may have heard it before, love is love. No, it's not what it is. Love has a name. God. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Love your family by discipling them. Love the family of God by discipling those younger than yourself. Live out God's grace in your life. Ask for help. If you need resources, let me know. I just finished a great book on family discipleship called Family Discipleship by Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin. There's things that I want to implement within my family and wanting to do those things. You know, have a plan in place. I would encourage you to pick up that book, Family Discipleship, and read it with your wife. You know, no matter if your kids have moved out, you can still be discipling your kids. They write in the book, and I'll close with this, and let this sink in. And not just let it sink in, but believe it as well. It's never too soon, and it's never too late to start discipling your household. Whether it is in the family of God or your household family, discipleship is necessary in the community and it must be built on the foundation of God's grace. So think about that. Chew on that a little bit. As Miss Pat said this morning, there's a lot of meat in there. Man, discipleship in the community of the church is necessary and it's vital. So remember that discipleship leads to godliness and that God's grace is a foundation we live by. Let's pray. Father, as we come to a close, Lord, and the hour is almost up, that does not mean that discipleship is over, but Lord, is really just beginning. As we go around our, our lunch tables or we have lunch, let our conversations be about what you're doing in our life and, and what you desire to be done in our families. God, I pray for the men in this room, Lord, that we would step up and, Lord, that we would lead our families well, that we would take it seriously, that we would not just push it aside, that we would take time to pray with our wives daily, pray over them, with them, for them, and our kids. 
God, forgive us where we have failed. God, help us to press on and to continue to try. Because that's what it's about, is trying, not neglecting it, Father. Forgive us where we have neglected the things that you've called us to do. God, help us to point those in our workplaces, in, the, in our circles that we hang out with, our friends, to you. Let it be said of us that we love Jesus and all that we do is about him. Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Rima has some words to say. Just want to encourage our church family this week. This is our final week of collection for our baby bottle campaign for the Life Pregnancy uh, Center in Manchester. So we're hoping that your collections have been going on since Mother's Day, and we would encourage you to bring them back one week from today on Father's Day and we'll be collecting. If you're gonna be out of town and that's not going to work for you, we will have them um, available at the church office to be collected on Monday and then I will be taking them to Manchester on that Tuesday following Father's Day. So continue to collect this week and we'll see what God can do through our donations. Thank you.
A uh, few announcements. Um, we've got Centric Kid Car Wash fundraiser today, 2 to 4, here at the church. Uh, deacons meeting at 4 o'clock. Um, prime Timers lunch sign-ups in tomorrow morning. Matt's going to put the orders in tomorrow morning, so today. Get them in today if you're going to sign up for the lunch. Um, talking about community of discipleship, uh, and then Father's Day coming up. Now, I hope I'm not stealing Bobby's thunder because he's Deacon of the Week next week, but I know he's kind of shy and doesn't like to talk anyway. Um, <laughs> but it got me thinking about all the church dads that I've had over the years, um, and I have been truly, truly blessed. Uh, you know, you, you gain so many brothers and sisters in Christ when uh, you become a Christian, but they never prepare you for how many dads you get. And it has been truly, truly amazing. And I remember growing up and um, just Mike and Steve and Bobby and just wondering, when will I get there? And I know they were good dads because I was friends with all their kids. And what was the secret? And the secret's easy. They just listened to their father. And that's all they had to do. So if you do not have a godly father, there are plenty of godly men in this church who are wonderful dads. Um, and thinking about that, and I was just up there thinking about when I became a dad, when Riley was born, um, how amazing it was. Here I am holding this, this perfect child. It's the closest to perfection that I will ever see until I'm in heaven. And Ryan's over there doing whatever she's doing. I don't know, she's bleeding out, but it didn't matter. <laughs> I'm, I'm just here with my child, you know? And all the love and joy you have at that moment, the number one thing about being a dad is you have someone else to blame. There's a stain on the carpet. Wasn't me. Must have been the kid. Um, no, but seriously, it is the most wonderful experience. And I hope to see you guys next week on Father's Day. Matt's got a few more things to say. We've got part two of the message coming now. So if you would get your Bibles up, just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, we want to recognize our VBS workers. So if you volunteered for VBS and you were a helper sometime this week, would you please uh, come forward? Miss Amanda has a little gift for you, and we're going to, while they're coming up, we, we do want to show you a little bit of a slideshow that was put together, uh, some things this past week. And so you see all the different volunteers that we had. We couldn't have done VBS without these people, and it was a blessing to have them. And, and for God to do what he did this past week, it was just amazing. So we did have uh, 57 kids all together uh, attend VBS. We had nine uh, children raise their hands saying they were interested to know more about Jesus and salvation. We had $265 raised for uh, Arrow, no, not Arrow, uh, River Bend Ranch. And so uh, what an awesome opportunity that w these people have in discipling and ministering to young children. And so, yes, it is tiring. Yes, it, it does require sacrifice. I pray and hope that next year you'll be standing up here with us because it is a blessing that you can be a part of every year. And so Miss Amanda has a little gift that she's going to hand out to each one of you. And, and also watch this video. Once you get your gift, you can have a seat.
after you get your gift. So let's give them a round of
makes you want to sign up for next year, right? All right. Um, let's go ahead and uh, dismiss in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Um, please watch over us this week. Uh, please watch over us today and uh, bring us back here tonight safely. Um, forgive us where we fail you. In your name we pray. Amen.